1: Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by our friends over at Greta as you see the toque in front of me for those of you on the YouTube live show and on the replay it kind of blends in with my shirt uh, but Greta sent us some swag and one of those pieces of swag do you say swag much no oh I do (laughs) Um, one of those pieces of swaggery uh, all that riz is the (laughs) Greta suit in front of us on the desk in front of me. On the desk. I've been wearing that too quite a bit. It's very nice. I like the Greta logo. Uh, it's very, very nice, as are our friends over at Greta, the home of our electric watch parties. Greta is Canuck's army spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, and also our place to chill in the offseason. We're not going to share exact dates yet, but new, another watch party coming up. Uh, looks like it's going to be in February. I'm just not sure exactly when, uh, but February, we're going to have another watch party over at Greta just teasing it just teasing a little right now Uh, and you're gonna be there you weren't that the first one because you weren't uh, on this show yet but uh, you'll be there at the second one and it'll be a lot of fun it's gonna be real real fun Harmon how was your uh, Christmas your New Year's well I guess I've talked to you since Christmas how was New Year's
0: it was good I honestly just stayed in and and hung out with my sister I'd been out with uh, with friends the night before and I think I'm I'm realizing that so I'm 23 now. I'm aging out of the clubs, man.
1: Oh yeah. I've I i, I, mean, I yeah. do not I, I just don't enjoy it anymore. I've so I went to a club for the first time when I was 21. And the last time I went, I was also 21. Or maybe I've been no, I no, I went to, I went to the what's the one? The cowboy the Yale. The yeah, Yale. I went there fun. at twenty-two. That was fun. But like, you know, I I went to and no free ads, but I went to uh I guess it's not really Nat. I'm talking bad about it. Uh, where was it? I don't know why I can't remember Uh, Fortune. Fortune Sound Club, yeah. I think it's called. No. I hated that. I hated it. I ran just... into a listener, though,
0: on Saturday night. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, it, I'm qu- quickly like, oh, yeah, this this isn't it anymore. And it makes it that much funnier because I remember first training camp in Victoria. I just turned 19. And me not understanding even what a club was or the difference between a club and a bar. <laughs> I went up to Trance and I was like, hey, I want to go clubbing. I've never been. Do you want to come with me? <laughs> like he laughed in my face and I didn't really get it. And now in hindsight, I'm like, geez,
1: how funny did that sound from his perspective? That, Dude, you know, he's in his 30s. and How often do we always talk about when we're the old guys in the media and those young whippersnappers come through the Vancouver media on their TikTok and whatever app they're using to deliver their Canucks content. And we're hanging on to podcasting for, their, for dear life those people are going to come up to us at some point and ask us the same question of, Hey, do you guys want to go clubbing? And it's like, no, we don't. We're here to cover training camp and do the work that's going to happen. What do people day. do
0: when they're in there? Like, of course, most people when they're in their late twenties and early thirties have families, they're tied up with a lot of responsibilities, but if and when you do end up free on like a Friday night or a Saturday night and a few of your other friends are also free, what do you guys do is it like you just hang out in somebody's house yeah i think so people go to like you bring the party to your place yeah yeah you go go to the
1: pub watch the canucks game a lot of people watch canucks games together and you're in bed by 9 30 and that's oh that's the life
2: no yeah i had friends over for new year's and i quite enjoyed it you make a big dinner some desserts some drinks
3: and you know, maybe go light off a few fireworks, blow some horns, bang some pots and pants together.
1: You mentioned running into a listener. Shout out whoever the listener was. I didn't catch your name. In my building, literally in my building, I was walking Bert and I'm getting in the elevator, and some guy pokes his head in as I'm talking to one of my neighbors in the elevator, pokes his head in and goes, Quads. I was like, Hey, yeah. And the door is closing. He's like, Oh, love your podcast, man. And then his head was gone. I don't know what you look like. I don't know your name. I don't know anything. But shout out to the listener who said he loved our podcast. I'm assuming he'll hear this. Message me on Twitter. Get a hold of me somehow. Maybe don't come to my apartment ever again. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, let me know. That was an interesting experience.
2: I I have a listener of both shows, actually, living in my building. Shout out Jeff Y. I forget exactly how I pronounce his last name. But uh, good guy.
1: Good guy. Good guy. Yeah, this guy was a good guy, too. I just don't know him <laughs> or anything about him. But uh, busy show today, uh, and you would not know it based on how we've opened this show. But there's a lot to get to. Jeff Patterson's going to join us in about 10 minutes' time. But first, Harmon, we're going to break down the Canucks month of January, as the title suggests. But before we do that, we need to talk about Jonathan Mackey and Team Sweden over in Sweden. Also, you brought up not going out on New Year's Eve. Sounded like Patrick Alvin may have gotten after it a little bit. I don't know if you heard his interview on TSN today. I was cracking up at it because, and you know, I'm cracking up for my own reasons, my own childish reasons. He may have just stayed home, but his voice was gone. Like he lost his voice (laughs) doing something. And I'm just, I'm just putting the, you know, as a journalist would, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. He's in Sweden for new year's Eve, right? Like he's in Sweden, lose lost his voice two days later when he's doing the interview I'm 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 thinking Patrick Alvin may have gotten after it in Sweden. And hey, all the power to him. All the power to him. Well, we were joking uh, with
0: uh, with J Pad and the media pool yesterday for New Year's. We were at practice, and the Sadines weren't there. And we were like, yeah, the Sadines definitely they're they're the poster boys of going out on New Year's Eve and too hungover for <laughs> practice. And then we're like, no, what likely happened is they probably had like one drink, and we're like, we got to do the grass grind <laughs> New Year's Day to burn all this off so
1: oh man yes that does sound uh that does sound like uh like the cedines uh Je- jeremy lee in the chat said 23 is apparently old now i never said not...
0: i was old <laughs> we just feel old i'm just not that young anymore no
1: i think that'll be our first question to jeff is how much uh how much money he would need to be paid to go clubbing with us <laughs> First question of JPAT. Uh Okay, I'd say, I brought it up. I want to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, Sweden, I don't even want to use the term takes down. Sweden eventually wins against Switzerland in the quarterfinal round of the World Juniors. They are off to the semis to play Czechia. Jonathan Leclerc scores a goal, his fourth of the tournament to put Sweden up two to nothing. And I don't want to even break down the game. Uh, it wasn't a great game by Sweden. They had to win in overtime against Switzerland. And that would have been a massive upset in front of the home crowd. If Switzerland had come back and won in overtime. But of course it was Sweden uh, that gets the final goal with Axel Sandin Pelica scoring and not to diverge too much, but every time ASP is brought up, I'm just remember, I'm reminded that in every draft class, and this is the thing I'll miss most about Faber being on the team side and not really being able to do this part of the job, but Faber would be doing his scouting and there would be some top 10, like consensus, top 10 defensemen that Faber just hates. Like he would, he would, he would tell me, he's like, dude, I'm watching this guy. He sucks. In Philip Broberg's draft year, it was Philip Broberg and Faber's, Hey, he's been right. He's been right about that. Poked all these holes in Broberg's game. And he did the same with Axel Sandy and Pelica. And obviously, uh, Faber used to be my main source for my opinions on prospects. And I didn't watch nearly as much as him. I don't think anybody ever really did. Um, now we have Dave Hall, obviously, who does a similar amount of work uh, as Faber did, but I don't know. I just, I was watching him play and I'm remembering everything Faber told me about him, all his, all the negatives about ASP. And I saw them all. And I was, I was, I was, I was texting with Faber during the game. And I was like, man, ASP, I see this, I see this, like all these issues. And then he scores the game-winning goal. And I'm like, wait, this is why people think he's good because he can score. He scores the timely goal. Everybody's like, oh, this guy's great. So there you go. That's just my ASP take from Faber.
0: Yeah, I I haven't watched enough of him in the SHL. This have I. season, But <laughs> I will say as a rule of thumb, there's a sort of belief that is sort of emerging from some talent evaluators that if you're sub six foot as ASP is, in your defenseman that unless you're a Quinn Hughes caliber like elite no doubt about it prospect that those deep prospects for whatever reason often just don't pan out like you think about uh, in Eric Brandstrom and I know that he's sure he's an everyday NHL player but he was the centerpiece of the Mark Stone trade uh, going to Ottawa and despite how well he looked in the SHL just never really panned out you look at Adam Bokvist right was was an unreal uh, prospect coming up has never really panned out and so to me asp is going to be a really interesting litmus test to see okay does this player type miss again because there's been a bit of that you know trend of unless unless you're elite that these sub 6 foot defensemen that are drafted relatively high sometimes they do uh disappoint
1: it reminds me a little bit of uh, Nils Lundqvist, like archetype, obviously. Another great example, actually. Yeah, it reminds me of him because <clears throat> there's one that has worked out, right? Has worked out. I'm just curious about this player type with Sandy and Pelican. It's a great point that you bring up, but I just I, I found that whole draft to be so interesting because... Um, you know, in the lead up to it, ASP is like, yeah, he's got to be a top 10 pick. He He's going to be there. He's going to be a top 10 pick. And, you know, guys like Ryan Backer and Simashev were being discussed as like 15 and beyond for most of the year. And then it was only in the months leading up to the draft that those guys stock really increased. Like I remember Faber wrote an article for Canucks army where he said, learn this name now, because in two months, everybody's going to have this guy going six to nine. Um, in that range in the draft. And it was David Reinbecker who at the time was supposed to go like at least after 10 for sure. But like a lot of people saying like late teens and Faber said, he's like, this guy's going to go um, in the six to nine range. And he ended up going fifth overall to Montreal. And obviously we know all the things that happened after that with uh, Habs fans sending him hate and stuff because they wanted Mitchkov, which anyways, we're not going to get into that. And I don't know how we got down this trail, but Simashev was the other guy that Faber brought up. That was like, yeah, this is going to be another guy who, people aren't talking about now, but he's, he might be the best defenseman in the draft. And I just remember Faber throwing out, yeah, the Canucks should draft Simichev at 11, and people were like, you're stupid. And I just, anyways, shut up Faber today. Starting the show off right with one of those. Um, okay, did you have any takes that you wanted to deliver from the Sweden game? We didn't really get into it. The main one I had was that Jonathan Karamacki looks so dangerous on the power play. And I, I don't know if we have the video here. We should have the link Um in the little sheet there, Grady, of the first goal that he scored in that game, and the only goal that he scored in that game, just an absolute piss missile far side on the Swiss netminder, who you and I broke it down like we were looking at it. The Swiss netminder is all sorts of lost. He's leaning blocker side through the screen, and then by the time he finds it through the screen and goes goes to make the save, he's going the wrong way, and he's going far side, just. A ridiculous shot on this kid um, obviously it's the number one thing we heard about when he was drafted but the way he's kind of put everything together is so interesting because and I highlighted this on Twitter was when you see him play now and you see him controlling the play away from the puck as well and you see him making good decisions winning board battles just various things that he's doing now it's hard to believe that he was Sweden's 13th forward at this time last year at this tournament like he was basically a non-factor for Sweden last year and now he's such a key part of the team
0: yeah I mean I think it speaks to how rapidly first of all prospects can develop um, in the space of you know 12 months when they are this young and credit to the because it has been that type of transformational year not just obviously play in, in international play uh, but on the pro side as well last season before the Allsvenskan playoffs he was struggling on a on a on a routine basis to be an impact player outside of the power play. And now he's in the SHL and yeah, he's still leaning a lot on the men advantage to score. But in the top Swedish men's league, he is still holding his own. He's still driving chances, getting to the inside a lot more. The level of confidence he has with the puck, again, it just feels night and day. Uh, so I think his strong world junior so far is just an extension of what we've seen from him in um, in league play. And it gives you some like this is a step he needed to take, honestly, to have in, in Canucks brass mind that, OK, could this be an, a, a player that could contribute at the NHL level in two or three years? He needed this type of year.
1: Uh, we totally mismanaged our time, so we don't have time to break down the Canucks schedule uh, for the month of January, but we will do that on the other side of Jeff Patterson. I even have more on the Kermak. But Can we see the goal, Grady? Can we just see the goal? Uh, that would Kermak- Quickly and incredibly accurate. PSN. Zip, of course.
4: Uh, oh, right right through.
1: Crazy. It's Just what a shot. Like, what a shot that was. To go far side like that. Kid can shoot. Shoot or shoot. Uh, Jeff Patterson shoots as we saw at the Canucks Media Skate. Let's bring him in. Jeff Patterson. Uh, You can check him out tonight after the game on Rinkwide
4: Vancouver.
1: There he is. Jeff, thanks for doing this.
4: Uh, In my defense, because lots of people came at me on social media with the video that uh, Rob the Hockey Guy, uh, there was no questions asked about his video. He just started going like rogue and posting videos of both (laughs) you and me out there skating. Uh, It had been a couple of years since I had been on skates And if you watch the video closely, like the skating was fine. The shot was a little weak. I wasn't wearing gloves. Like, and that's my (laughs) excuse that it was, oh, that and uh, it was Anthony Bavillier's stick that was just lying (laughs) around the rink. And clearly it didn't work. It didn't work for him. It didn't work for me either. So those are my excuses when it came to the rather weak shot on goal. Not like Jonathan LeCaramaki. I have to take some some tips or get some tips uh, from him for that next media skate.
1: Well, I'll tell you, it looked like an absolute rifle when you were shooting right after me. That's what you do. You make me shoot first <laughs> and then you You're go. Right. And uh, in my defense, I was using a Travis Dermott stick. So, hey, same same sort of deal as you, Jeff. I know you had the Beauvillier uh, and I had the Dermot stick. They were nice. They were like my size, that, those sticks. They were like perfectly sized out. And, really, you know, it really makes you think, how tall are these guys really? More on Canucks Army uh, later yeah. this year. Uh, Jeff, you were at practice today. Uh, excuse me, practice morning skate. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was there yeah. before we get to the Canuck stuff. Do you have any Wayne Gretzky
4: stories for us? Maybe from today, maybe from the past? Well, first of all, he just appeared like that new restaurant and lounge where, you know, in between the players benches. Uh, nobody uses that for morning skates and practices but he's the great one i guess he can go wherever he wants uh but he just kind of emerged and you know the media pack sitting in the stands we're watching the canucks work on power play one and somebody was like it's gretzky and then sure enough like yeah that is wayne gretzky and uh, he took a seat he watched for a little while i uh, was in seattle yesterday for the winter classic made his way up here uh, sounds like he's gonna be at the game tonight so uh, we'll be in the uh, company of greatness hockey royalty we already had uh, prince harry at the rink earlier this year. Uh, But yeah, I don't think uh, Gretz gets to these parts very often. My Wayne Gretzky story, and this goes back to, like, we're going back two decades now. So uh, yeah, I mean, come with me on a little walk down memory lane. But uh, when I first started hosting Canucks pre- and post-game shows on CKNW, uh, the very first one that I did, the Canucks played the Rangers in a season opener, which is kind of weird to think of the Rangers being all the way out here for a season opener. But Wayne Gretzky had a fashion line. I don't know if you guys remember, but like in association with the Bay, Hudson's Bay, uh, yes. he had his own line of clothing. And he was making the rounds and doing a promotional tour and they gave us the opportunity to go and speak to him the afternoon of the game. Um but there were conditions that the interview had to be uh, about the fashion line. Well, <laughs> I'm hosting the pregame show that night and I get a chance to talk to Wayne Gretzky. So I go in with a like the tape deck and the recorder and with all these PR people around, I was like, forget it. Like this is the Canuck season opener. i got the great one. Like we're talking hockey. And so uh, to his credit, he played along. And then I had to throw in a softball at the end about uh, a cashmere sweater or something uh, <laughs> just to let him <laughs> expound on his fashion line. So I've had the chance to talk to him a few times over the years, but that one always stuck out to me just because there were all these eyeballs watching in this small little back room at the the bay downtown. Uh, not your usual sort of pregame hockey fair, but, uh, He was good then, and he was pretty good uh, when he played as well, and uh, oh, what might have been? uh, He could have been a Vancouver Canuck, but he wasn't, obviously. Instead, he was uh, a guy that torched the Canucks and just about every other opponent that he faced uh, throughout his legendary career.
0: J-Pat, the coaching staff uh, has a decision to make tonight in terms of which forward they're going to make, uh, a healthy scratch. We suspect it may be Hoaglander, just based off previous uh, practices, him skating as an extra, but forget about what the coaching staff is thinking for a second here, what would you do in this situation in terms of the forward you would perhaps be looking to take out of the lineup?
4: Well, before I answer that, harm, let's just, like Rick Toccan has been honest as the day is long. You ask the guy a question and you get a, a three-minute answer on just about anything. And as a media member, I really appreciate that because not all coaches are as, uh, you know, open and willing to answer questions. And certainly when it comes to their lineup. And so, you know, he confirmed Demko in goal, confirmed that Carson Susie's not yet ready to go so it's the same six defensemen they've used all through the month of December but then when I asked him point blank this morning is Hoaglander the odd man out and he said oh uh, we're not sure uh we've got to go through a few things and I thought okay that's interesting because Hoaglander has been the extra skater at practice the last couple of days it seemed pretty straightforward but I also noticed that Sam Lafferty and Mark Friedman were just playing pass at center ice during an optional skate the uh, for what seemed like an extended period of time. And of course, Friedman's the forgotten man. Uh, When Susie gets back, he's going to drop to eighth on the depth chart. It would probably take a couple of injuries for him to see game action again. But Sam Lafferty has kind of toiled. He's had, I mean, he's been a terrific addition to this hockey club, but, you know, we saw him play higher in the lineup, and now he's down on the fourth line, but he's not killing penalties. And I do wonder if his number is uh, the one that's going to come up tonight, so just keep that in mind as we go closer to warm up tonight, that uh, no guarantees that it's going to be Hoaglander. <laughs> Look, Niels Hoaglander got a bit quiet on that line with JT Miller and Brock Besser and talked, talked about it today that, uh, you know, this is kind of who the Canucks are, that they've got three or four different guys and you plug them in and you hope you get a little juice from them for a handful of games. But he said, the reason that, you know, that they don't have that position locked down is because there's still inconsistencies in their game. And so, that speaks to Hoaglander. It speaks to Phil Giuseppe, who's getting uh, an opportunity to be reunited with Besser and Miller tonight. And we'll see what he can do with it. You know, Lafferty, I think, kind of falls into that category as well. Um, I-, I had hoped that Hoaglander was past the point of being a healthy scratch, quite frankly. I mean, this guy leads the team in goals for 60, uh, all of his even strength contributions. Like, I- I'd like to find more of a role for him on that second unit power play. And instead, it seems, well, if he's not going to be in the top six, Rick Tocket just doesn't trust him to be in the – lower in the lineup but at the same time pocket wants guys that you know are aggressive and get in on the four check and win their board battles and all those things that hoaglander does and has done really whenever he's been in the lineup regardless of where he's played so i kind of thought in my own mind that with his performance the fact he's got double digit goals already this year before christmas that maybe he was one of those guys that had finally arrived now and had a spot in the lineup now nobody can take anything for granted and you do have to perform ultimately there's got to be a bottom line to it so I'm a little disappointed when I saw them line up for practice after Christmas and he was the odd guy out. Uh, but they want to get Phil Giuseppe back in there. They want to see if he can sort of return to his form of those first 10 games of the year uh, when he did play well and contributed with Miller and Besser. And we'll see if uh, PDG can provide that juice in that spot. But, you know, whether it's Giuseppe, whether it's Oglander, whether it's uh, Lafferty, it just again to me uh, with Kuzmenko's inconsistency, it underscores, uh, the area of need for the Vancouver Canucks. And to me, that is uh, another top six scoring forward.
1: Jeff, uh, your ponderings this weekend. In Patterson's point, you wrote about the Vancouver Canucks power play. Your headline, the Vancouver Canucks power play is too good to be this bad. Still top 10, but explain that column and your concern uh, with the power play.
4: Well, and I was delighted, honestly, and I don't think it had anything to do with my column, but to see them, I mean, they really had a Power Play 1 summit. Like, it was a task force this morning with Tockett and the Sadines and Yogi Sarkowski, the, the skills coach, out there for the better part of half an hour. Like, other guys toiled at the other end of the ice. Uh, not your usual optional morning skate, and certainly it wasn't optional for the, the guys on Power Play 1. So I was fascinated. Uh, you know, usually morning skates, particularly optionals, are, are pretty mundane uh, this was not the case and Talkett stayed with his group and they a ton of walkthroughs and positioning guys and the fact that pd looks like he's moving to the bumper tonight is an interesting wrinkle there so yeah i mean look you look at the assembled talent quinn hughes Elias patterson jt miller brock besser and i do think that kuzmenko uh, you know if he's gonna be in the lineup then put him on that first unit you know, power play i mean we saw how well he uh, contributed last year and obviously this has been a different year but i do think with all of the success this team has had all of the victories all of the big numbers on the scoreboard seven against san jose before christmas and five in nashville not that long ago and of course you go way back 10 and eight and you know goals haven't been an issue for this team and yet you look at the power play guys five for 40 in the month of december 12 and percent it's been running at 14 percent for 20 games now They've played 36, like more than half the games that they have played, their power play is near the very bottom of the National Hockey League. And again, I just think that even the team and the coaches, they keep spitting out this notion of, oh, we just need a goal here or a goal there. If we had scored one against Philadelphia, this wouldn't even be an issue. Forget that. It would be an issue. This is the power play that's been running at 14% for 20 games now. That's not good enough. And we've talked about the issues that they had and you saw it against Philadelphia. I mean, that's the latest example of breaking down these opponents that don't give up much. Well, the power play is the perfect way to cash in and this power play should be a difference maker. And again, they're winning hockey games and they haven't had to rely on the power play. But guess what? Second half of the season, they're going to see a ton of tough opponents. They're going to play a ton of these games that are one goal slogs where a power play goal here or there can make the difference. So I kind of felt like It was not validation so much for my article, but just the idea that, yes, the coaching staff recognized that, you know, talk is cheap. It is about performing on the ice. And so there was a lot of talk this morning about going back to doing what they did. I mean, they were, I think they were 21 for 63 in the first 15 games, like one for every three. I mean, they were running at 33%. You know, not likely to stay at that level, but you saw what was possible. And the idea that JT Miller and Elias Patterson have one power play goal apiece in the last 19 games, like those guys are trotted out on the first unit every single night out. Like, how is that possible? And Quinn Hughes with one power play point in his first 14 games. Like, okay, so you go through a dry spell, that's fine. But the dry spell has come on the heels of him having 15 power play points in the first 22 games of this season. Same player, same group of players out there. Okay, Kuzmenko's been out of the lineup, but again, the contrast is just wild to me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a believer in this power play, but saying that doesn't mean anything. You got to go out there and prove it. And so, it is time that I think uh, Tockett kind of snapped them to attention. And you know, we'll see. And the other part, guys, is the Ottawa Senators' worst penalty killing in the National Hockey League, under 70 percent on the road. And on top of that, they're one of, the, they're one of the least disciplined teams in the National Hockey League. So this feels like it's setting up. You put all this work in this morning in the morning skate. You get an opponent that has flown cross-continent, you know, not having a great season and can't kill penalties. Let's see if uh, the Canucks can make some hay here with the man advantage tonight.
1: Speaking of penalty killing, how much of the struggles do you think has to do with teams adjusting to what the Canucks do on the power play? Are the Canucks maybe becoming too predictable on the power play?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I just think they've lost that sort of puck hunger and like the they were in such attack mode early in the season and all that movement and Quinn Hughes was just causing fits. I mean, we all raved about, you know, the shot volume and the the, sort of the upgrade and the, the strength of his shot. You know, if his shot wasn't beating goaltenders, it was getting through layers, it was causing problems for goaltenders, there were rebounds and tips and all those types of things. He's not shooting as much. Now, some of that probably is the teams are trying to adjust, but how do you adjust to Quinn Hughes? Like, you know, you can say, oh, you're going to pay special attention to him. Players like that are hard to contain, as you know. So I, I just think Quinn Hughes has to recognize his role in all of this. And so much of the power play success starts with him. And if teams do want to shade to his side, and look, we've seen that for the last couple of years with Elias Pedersen out on the right flank, and teams have kind of you know, moved a guy over that way and said, hey, we're going to make you beat us with your other four players. It's the same situation now if that's the case with Quinn Hughes. But I just think Quinn Hughes is too good to be completely neutralized the way that he has been for 14 games now on the power play. So, uh, you know, pro sports, pro hockey, it's all about adjustments. And, you know, you put your best out there, teams are going to watch and adapt, and then it's up to you to continue. I mean, that's what the playoffs are all about when it's down to one opponent, a singular opponent. And so, you know, they're not at the playoffs yet but they're sort of headed in that direction. And so not too soon, in my opinion, to start with the adjustments. And let's see what, you know, what do these wrinkles look like tonight? The idea of Elias Pettersson in the bumper, something we really haven't seen an awful lot of, but I'm all for it because what's been going on hasn't been working for the Vancouver Canucks for for far too long now.
0: Jay we're approaching the one month mark for Nikita Zadorov's arrival. Of course, the game against Philly was, uh, <laughs> was tougher and probably his worst game as a Canuck. But overall... What have you made of his impact and his addition to the blue line?
4: Yeah, 600th game the other night. And I have to imagine that uh, there've been 590 some that have been better than that one. That was tough. Uh, I mean, the, the giveaway on the, the goal was bad, but there was a giveaway early in the hockey game that led to a great chance for Travis connectney as well. I think for the most part though, he's been kind of as advertised. He's come in, he's provided uh, a physical element. Uh, I think that uh, he stuck up for teammates. Uh, we saw that in Chicago and, Uh, The Blackhawks uh, went after Elias Pedersen, or at least laid the the body on Elias Pedersen. I think that's part of his role. Uh, You know, I I guess I was all in on the idea that a Zodorov myers pairing was going to be like just wild to watch, that it was going to be these two massive bodies and, you know, it was going to be high event and all that kind of stuff. But it really, for the most part, it hasn't been. And the underlying numbers would suggest that that uh, those two have kind of held their own and not given up an awful lot, and, and that's what you want. You know, I, I guess as Carson Soucy nears his return, you know, is it as simple as Susie replaces Noah Juleson and it's going to be a Carson Susie, Ian Cole pairing? And if so, you know, does that make Myers and Zadorov your second pair? Uh, do they drop down? Or are they your third pair? Uh, I thought it was curious today to hear Rick Tockett say that with all these bodies and the fact that Susie is really close now, he's not going to play tonight, but talking said, it may be as simple as, you know, decisions will be based on a game by game sort of proposition here. So he said like, it might come down to who plays well tonight and who doesn't will be the guy that comes out of the lineup. Now, uh, again, will he hold true to that? Like if Noah Julson plays well and Tyler Myers had a tough night, does Tyler Myers come right out of the Vancouver Canucks lineup when Carson Susie is back? So um, you know, that's a roundabout answer to your question. But I think for the most part, Zadorov has been good. You know, has he been good to the level of, you know, a long-term extension at the kind of dollars that have been talked tossed around? I, I, I'm still in a wait-and-see mode there. I do think that you make the trade that, you know, they're going to try everything to get him under contract. But uh, I'm not sure that I want to commit the dollars that uh, have been floated out there at this stage. But there is still half a season or more to go. So, uh, you know, we'll see where those negotiations uh, ultimately lead
1: jeff who's on rink wide with you tonight
4: uh or far will be sitting in to launch uh the first rink wide of the new year and uh yeah i mean final game here for the Canucks of the homestand and then out on the road so uh, we'll see what they can do uh this feels like one that's there for the taking against the senators team that can score some goals, but can give up some goals. Gave up 46 shots the other night against Buffalo, but uh, Anton Forsberg made 45 saves, and he's going to get the start again. Uh, it was interesting, just looking back at my notes, the uh, Canucks beat the Senators 5-3 in Ottawa on November the 9th, the start of that uh, quick three-game Eastern road trip with Casey DeSmith in goal. Remember the Canucks scored 15 seconds in, Brock Besser, the first shot of the game, they had to review it because uh, Forsberg stopped it, but the puck That's went over right. the line. Canucks scored twice in the first three minutes. They only had three shots on goal, though, in that first period and only 16 on the night. So, um, you know, they did what they had to do and they scored. And Elias Petterson had three points that night and their big guns came out. Uh, but, you know, Ottawa can be a tricky opponent. And I'm not I don't think the Canucks are in any position to take anybody lightly. Uh, But they've been off so long here, it's a question of can they find their legs? And they didn't have them against Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, if you're heading out on a seven-game road trip, you certainly want to use it as a springboard here, your final home game. They've been good at home for the most part. Uh, I expect that the Vancouver Canucks will bounce back and be a whole lot better than they were against the Philadelphia Flyers when they see the Senators tonight. But yeah, Irv and I will be on uh, afterwards to break it all down
1: fantastic i'll be with you on saturday it's gonna be a good time gonna be a good time as it always is over on rink so if you haven't already folks be sure to go subscribe to Rinkwide vancouver wherever you get your podcast jeff thanks so much for doing this my friend we'll talk to you soon
4: all right guys thank you
1: jeff patterson like i said rink wide vancouver make sure you listen to it uh post game really really solid analysis especially when i'm on that show um <laughs> Uh, one thing that I wanted to highlight that Jeff brought up, and we're running so behind, so we have a lot to fit in, but Elias Pettersson uh, getting some reps in at the net front. I'm really curious what bumper, that I think bumper, it. excuse me, bumper. Thank you. Um, in the bumper position, I'm really curious what that's going to mean because the, the chat's talking about it too, about how, look, that was Bo Horvat's spot. All the Horvat goals turned into Brock Besser goals this year. And now the power plays had a few games where they haven't been clicking maybe as, as well as... All many would have hoped including those guys so i just find it interesting because the messaging from the team in terms of when you talk to players when you talk to coaches about it was like we'll figure it out like we we have a good power play and it's a fair it's a fair stance to have i'm just interested now to see if this is an actual change that we start to see more like if, if it's more noticeable um now that he's in the bumper spot, like if that actually changes the complexion of the power play in any way, or if they're just going to keep rotating and he'll end up somewhere else. Well, with the handedness,
0: you do get, because Pedersen's a left shot, whereas Bester and Kuzmenko weren't, is now all of a sudden, it's easier for Miller on the left half wall to – he has a one-timer option, mm-hmm. right? And so much of what made Bo successful in the bumper was JT's an elite playmaker from the left half wall – and whether it was Miller to Bo directly or whether they'd go Miller down low to the net front, back up to Bo as like a tic-tac-toe play, there were so many one-timers coming from that bumper spot. Mm -hmm. And it's why Horvat was by far the team's power play goals leader since I want to say the 2021 season. He'd, He'd been absolutely feasting from there. So you'll also notice that a lot of times to get that one-timer bumper look again, you'd see Miller shifting to the right side. And he'd be trying to make that saucer pass to Besser and it would work. But it's you can you can tell that's the play Miller really likes is is having a one-timer in the bumper. But to do that when it's Besser there or another right shot, he's having to you know skate to the other side and then all of a sudden it's just not his natural spot mm-hmm. where he's at his best. So I'm curious to see how that um wrinkle effects to look at the power play. But in general, you were asking j earlier about, has it become too predict- predictable? I don't think it's necessarily too predictable. I just think their execution is off uh, in terms of how they're snapping the puck around, their passing especially. Early in the season, it felt like the pace and the precision with which they were able to move the puck around the zone was just something that you couldn't keep up with mm. as a PK. Whereas now, too many situations of guys bobbling the puck, passes going off skates. Uh, Even when they do get, let's say a shooting look so many times they're not able to get the puck through traffic or they're missing the net They're They're off the mark. I don't think that it's that penalty kills have adjusted to such a point that uh, they're completely stymieing the Canucks. I think it's on the players themselves, how they're executing. And you can also tell that, tell that's the case when they're having to go back to regroup and then on their entries to get set up I, I just don't have that same level of confidence that it did early yeah. in the season that they're going to be able to make those high traffic nifty little passing plays where there's pressure on you but when you when you can command pocket control you're just
1: able to to weave in and and get set You're up able anyway to and get and through the to... neutral zone yeah. with ease they haven't been able to do that as much lately and once especially once they're through the neutral zone then they can't get set up so hopefully uh things start to turn around for the canucks power play here uh some listener feedback and we'll get to anyone else in a second here but mr joker said i don't mind having ep40 in the position sniper said i think pd is too small for that spot but i'm happy to see how it goes so we'll see how that goes and we will get to more listener feedback on our anyone else section But before we do that, we need to do our light the lamp contest brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing. Okay, I had to get it right. There it is. Vancouver is playing Ottawa tonight, and we want to know who's going to score the first goal for Vancouver. If you nail it, you could win a $25 gift card to the Four Winds Room located at 72nd and River Road in Delta. Enter by following us on social media and keep an eye out for today's show clip and comment who you think will light the lamp and score the first goal tonight. Winners will be contacted directly. Check us out at Canucks Army or at Canucks Convo on Twitter, at CanucksArmy.com on Instagram, and Canucks Army on Facebook. And make sure you ask about Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered to your front door through the online shop at Four fourwindsbrewing.ca as you see it right in front of us. I'm going with Bumper Petey scores the first goal tonight. Bumping Petey. Damn,
0: I was going, going to go with uh, Patterson, not because of the bumper, but uh, because against Philly, mm. I thought that, that line was quietly good, and that he, his skating looked faster than it has at points early in the season where maybe he wasn't as impactful at five on five.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Greedy, did you have By a pick? Way, you wanted? Yeah.
0: I, I wanted to quickly mention the comment about PD apparently being too small for the bumper. Totally disagree because look at somebody like Braden Point, who uh, for so long has been able to feast in, in the middle there. I, I don't think size really it's not like you're battling for position in in the bumper slot
1: contrary to what i said it's not net front he's in the bumper spot
0: yeah it's like the the skills you need to be successful in the bumper are an ability to like you need to be a smart player to understand the angles so that you're actually available in passing lanes like you have to read and react based off how the pk what shooting lanes they're taking away, what passing lanes they're taking away. Like Besser early in the season, for example, he he would get some looks because he's a smart offensive player as well. The PK would be collapsing towards the middle lower in the slot, and then he'd sort of shade back up towards the high slot, and then he'd get open that way. So you, you need a smart brain that way. You need a quick release on your shot, and you want somebody that has good hands, which, I mean, Bo checked a lot of those boxes as well. Petey does too, so... Um, not guaranteeing that he's going to be successful there, but I like
1: it as a look. Uh, Tyson Cole, a new writer at Canucks Army, made his debut for us today. He was one of the recipients of this year's Boschford Project, uh, and he just wrote his first article for Canucks Army, and it's about Rick Tockett's comments. On Brock Besser's positioning. And he highlights this. He highlights the work in the bumper spot and shooting from the high slot and what you need to get there. Uh, Tyson looked a lot at NHL edge data. So you can go look at that at canoxarmy.com. But the one thing that I wanted to highlight was this quote from Talkit, similar to what you just said. He said, He gets to that area quickly. When the pressure hits in defensive zone coverage, he can find that non pressure area. It's only open for about a second or two. And if you get there slower, it will close up and Elise least Pedersen uh, is not a slow player and he definitely doesn't think the game slowly either. So a really good point by you. And like I said, I am interested to see what it's going to look like tonight and really how much it changes the complexion of the power play. Cause you, you just mentioned it about Miller coming down on the half wall. He's dominant there and having the, um, the option for the one timer with Pedersen. I'm really curious uh, what that ends up looking like. And that's who I'm going with uh, for my light lamp. Okay. Anything else on tonight before we get to anyone else? Nope. Okay. Uh Thatcher Demco starts. Wayne Gretzky in the house. Um Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Let's get into our anyone else segment. Presented by our friends at DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved in his up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, you can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 2-5. For 25% off, up to $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order with code nation 25. Offer value in Canada. Subject change. Terms do apply. Okay. We've got a lot in here, uh, and I appreciate it. Everybody's here for 2024, the new year. We've got a lot of people in the chat. I wanted to start with this one. This one from Oz Nuck. Have the Canucks priorities shifted to acquiring immediate help, i.e. player trades, as opposed to future assets and draft picks? And this is something that I wanted to talk about because I find the whole conversation around this very interesting. Because you have guys like me our last shows saying trade a Lindholm home, whatever it takes, go get him, go go load up for this season, go make a push in this year's playoffs. Right? You you spoke about the divisional matchup in the playoffs and how it might not be the best idea, but I'm still vibes guy. I still like it. Go get a Lindholm home, but to management's credit, we've seen this team get off to such a hot start, right? And, you know, a lot of what we were being told and when we, you and I looked under the hood, we realized, yes, okay, this isn't sustainable and it's happening off of this, but they're probably still a good team, not a great team just yet, just yet. They're probably not in that elite level of teams, but they're right there. They're, they're, they're close, right? To management's credit, they haven't looked at these results, at least publicly and with their moves, they haven't looked at these results and said, yeah, th- we're legit. Like, Yeah, our president thought that everything needed to go right for us to be a playoff team, but he was wrong. Apparently he was wrong because look at us now, we're going to go out and we're going to do all these crazy win now moves. Like, If your big move in a player trade is moving a third and a fifth to go against Nikita Zadorov, which makes your team better, and I think they were right in that estimation that it made their team better, if that's your move... I don't think you have a flawed process. Like I I don't think you're necessarily shifting your focus to player trades and putting away from draft picks. Like I think good teams, especially in the stage where the Canucks are right now, don't have just one focus. I think when you're a cup contender, you have one focus or if you're a rebuilding team, you have one focus. I think if you can walk and chew gum, which the last management regime couldn't do, And we're not sure if they could literally do that either. We've never been told, but they couldn't do that in the last management. team. They were trying to do both, but they were doing both pretty half-assed when you looked at it, right? So I think that's one thing this management group needs credit for is that they've kept their eye on the future. They've established their process in Abbotsford and they've got the right people in in terms of the coaching staff and the development staff in their mind that is going to make them be able to have these guys continue to come down the pipeline right and we obviously we've spoken about Mackey already you got Willander you've got all these other guys and obviously there's still development work going down in Abbotsford i just find it interesting that um they haven't bought in necessarily to what they've been seeing they haven't they haven't overcommitted based on what they've seen to start this year
0: yes but even if they were in a position where they were completely buying in and they're like, this is the year we're going to mortgage our future, which I don't think they would have. So if I was GM? Yeah. So if you were GM, you still wouldn't actually be able to execute on that until close to the deadline. Yeah. Because what big trades have happened midseason mid season so far?
1: Anthony Beauvillier. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: but you're right. So that it's a little too early to say that, but to the original question as a whole, I think in general, yeah, you are at a point now where you're, like to me, I don't really care about adding draft picks anymore. That doesn't mean that I'm now taking whatever picks I have and throwing them out the window like they're useless to me, but that's not like adding more of them isn't really uh, a priority from my perspective. If I'm in the Canuck shoes, yeah, you're in a position where if you're Vancouver, the challenge essentially is how do we solve our long term needs, continue to get to the point where we can be a legit cup, cup contender over, over the interim future without giving up too many pieces to where our window is going to be too short.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Right. And so it is a delicate line that um, they're going to have to straddle and it's not going to be easy, but yeah, you are in that mode where you're looking to add to this team and you
1: uh, adding futures doesn't really um, – it's not a priority. Okay, uh, this one from Jesse C. Does Luker Mackey get instant power play one spot in Abbotsford next year, or do they make him earn it? This transitions well into my anyone else for the day, which was about Patrick Alvin's quotes on the Swedish broadcast of Sweden's last game of the preliminary round. Uh, he spoke, and this was translated by a Reddit user – I'm sorry, I gave you credit in the Canucks Army article, just can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, it was It was translated – uh, by a Reddit user. And basically what he said was that, um, John Laker they're hoping he's going to be in Abbotsford next year and talked about the improvements that he's made. Spoke about Willander and Patterson as well. A uh, bit more of a, um, timid approach with those guys, like talking about how it's going to take a little bit longer, that type of thing. But with Laker he said he hopes to see him in training camp next year, um, and in Abbotsford next year. So we'll see what happens there, but he was also on the TSN broadcast today. Of Sweden's game against Switzerland, and he said it in English, so I really understood it this time. Um, he said that he uh, hopes that Lukiraki's is going to be in training camp and that they're excited to get a look at him. It's interesting. It's interesting um, because I think in the past, you've not always been sure that, okay, this. SHL prospect is going to want to play in Abbotsford, right? Like, or in the AHL, I should say, right? They 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 would play in the SHL, and then when it's time for them to come to the NHL, they would do that. But if it wasn't gonna be in the NHL, then they would just go back to SHL where they're more comfortable, right? So I found it interesting that he's talking about Abbotsford, and I'm curious what that's gonna look like for Jonathan the Karamaki because yeah, um back to Jesse's question about instant power play one spot, Danil Klimovich isn't an instant power play guy in Abbotsford, right? Like they're really working on making Daniel Klimovic a well-rounded player. And you have to think they'll be doing the exact same thing with Jonathan Karamaki, right? Like that's the thing that I always come back to is when you talk about organizational alignment, Jeremy Colleton in Abbotsford is doing a great job. He's preparing guys to play for the Rick Tocket Vancouver Canucks. Like that, that's what Jeremy Colleton's job is with these young guys. So you're going to need to be well rounded at five on five. You can't just be a power play merchant. And part of earning your power play time is being able to, you know, have that commitment, that work ethic, all those cliches that we're going to hear from the coaching staff. I don't think he's just handed a power play one spot. Even though I, I was telling you before the show today, I think he'd be a he'd be good on the Vancouver Canucks power play right now. Like he'd be good. On power play one, I think. I think he'd be fine there. But then, of course, you have to play him at five on five as well, which maybe he's not quite ready for just yet at the NHL level. But when you see what he's doing on the power play for Sweden, um, you obviously start to ask those questions. I still don't think he's given that spot right away.
0: On talent, he should be. Should be. But... I just point to what happened with Klimovic. The thing is, though, he's already such a weapon on an SHL power play. And the SHL is still a really, really good league. So to me, when you look at look at the shot that he has, maybe you also kind of have to look at what other power play pieces you have in Abbotsford, what everybody's role is, and is there an obvious need for somebody on the left flank, which is where Le is best? I think that would go into it. Uh, not just, hey, he's talented, but the fit of it. Uh, but the even strength aspect is obviously going to be the main thing that he's going to have to adjust to because the AHL is a really physical league. It is Mm -hmm. especially for these, for younger prospects that like Aaron Mackey's, not making a jump from junior, but a lot of these like Cole Lind, is a great example where I think for him, it was a bit of a shell shock and he was like dominant in the WHL comes over to the a and it's, it's a massive learning curve. And he's a guy that wasn't small or, or undersized, Whereas the Karamaki, he's still going to have to put on um, a, a lot of size, and the NHL is a very different style of play because with the larger ice surface, there isn't a lot of chip and chase, there isn't a lot of forechecking. It's all, it's very uh, possession based hockey. Whereas in the AHL, especially if you're trying to develop prospects to play, eventually play under Rick Tockett, where in Vancouver now th- it is a lot of a forecheck based offense. It's a very different style of play. It's a more physical league, and it's they're gonna they're going to be a lot more defensive, you know demand. So I think even strength there will be quite a bit of a, a learning curve and that's why with Lake he's got in a really interesting ceiling. you're gonna have to be patient, I think. Um, and not expect that, oh, he gets to Abbotsford, he's, he's going to immediately be lighting it up. If that's what he does, amazing, fantastic, then he's probably ahead of schedule in terms of when you anticipate him making the NHL. Uh, but if it takes him time to, to get going, um, that's okay too because there's a lot that is going to be on his plate.
1: Uh, Karan said, I think he starts on PP2 and very quickly goes to PP1. Once they see his shot on North American ice, they'll be forced to put him there. And I think that is also a pretty safe take okay we still have to we still want to size up the month of January uh maybe we'll push that tomorrow but I already titled the episode I don't know Grady change the title of the podcast folks on the YouTube live show I'm sorry this will be tomorrow's episode we'll uh we'll change it up a little bit but uh actually no we 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 have time we can fit it in we'll fit it in unless what do you want to do you want to continue the conversation tomorrow I got it up up already yeah we got it up We got up. Let's look quickly sizing up the Canucks month of January. I'm sure these conversations will continue after we break down uh, tomorrow's game or excuse me, tonight's game against the senators tomorrow. Uh, Okay. You and I were talking about this on the last episode. We're talking about it again, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow as well. The next month of January, not quite as daunting as maybe we originally thought, maybe as I originally thought, because I was talking, look, and that's the thing I'm interested. I want to ask players about this, about what's harder playing harder opponents or playing like way more hockey. Like if you could choose between playing two games in five or six nights against hard opponents or four games in six nights against middle tier opponents who the the Canucks are going to face a lot of on the road.
0: The latter would probably be more difficult. I'd say, especially just because of the travel component. But in this case, I was doing the math for January and i believe that only 3 of the 13 opponents connect's face in the month of january are currently in a playoff spot. So yeah, that that trip especially as it starts going out east is going to be difficult, but when you look at who they're playing, it's a lot of teams that either defend poorly and or have bad goaltending. So, like Ottawa, they struggle defensively, they have bad goaltending. Uh, the Blues, they don't defend particularly well. The Devils, they're a, they're a really good team, but they don't have stable goaltending. Um, Rangers and Islanders are different. They are both pretty good in those areas, although even the Islanders are missing, like they, they're missing Pellick, pulock uh, um, Mayfield. Last I checked like a week ago, now some of those guys may return by that time, but their blue line looks like Mayfield, for example, has been back, but... They've they've got a banged up blue line, so they're not quite the same. Then you get to Pittsburgh; they've tightened things up recently, and they have good goaltending. But with a blue line that includes Carlson, Latang, uh, and Ryan Graves not fitting in, they can be loosey goosey defensively. And I, I think when the data came out like a month ago, they were among the league's worst teams in surrendering odd man rushes. Buffalo's a mess defensively and goaltending. Same thing with uh, Columbus. Um, you you go down then when the Canucks return home, and you're playing teams like Arizona, Toronto, Tor- Toronto has goaltending woes and isn't doesn't defend particularly <laughs> well. Uh, Chicago, St. Louis, Columbus, like th- this is the type of month where, especially because the Canucks are are going to enter the road trip after the Ottawa game, having only played one game in in nine days, so they should be relatively rested. I don't think it. I don't think January is. Too challenging, especially because I don't think they're going to have to work too hard for their offense. Whereas if you look at February, I think that's a lot more challenging because in February you play, for example, Boston twice, and they're really stingy. Winnipeg's been really stingy this year. Hellebuck's been on fire. You have to play them. Um, you're going to play Colorado. You're going to play LA for the first time. Uh, you're going to play Carolina, where their goaltending has been a problem, but they typically defend really well. So I mean, even Seattle, like they're not as easy to play based on their recent form, um, as they were probably early in the year. Kraken are above 500 now. They they're like 7-0 and two, and they've given up like five goals in the last five games. So uh, I I think the month of February is actually harder scheduled than January is.
1: Interesting. I looked at March and April too in my article recently for Canucks Army, and like. March and April is when the Canucks have all of their matchups against Vegas and L.A. So other than those teams, those months are a little bit easier and there's less travel involved. And, um, you know, that it becomes easier from that aspect. But, yeah, the opponents are not easy um, heading into February or excuse me, March and April, but February as well. So it'll be interesting. January is looking less daunting. Uh, than maybe you originally thought. But yeah, the travel, man, Like, let's not discount the travel. East Coast travel yeah. um, is not easy on these players. So we'll see. We'll see and how it a goes. a couple
0: of weird start times. Exactly. Like Buffalo on the 13th is 1 p.m. Pacific, and Monday against Columbus is a 10 a.m. Uh,
1: start. On and a Monday. Have, on a Monday. That's so weird. That's going to be the first time in, in our show's history where like rink-wide will have wrapped up right before we go live. <laughs> That'll be really interesting. A 10 a.m. start on uh, January 15th against the Columbus Blue Jays. That's going to be the uh, – is that their other Frozen Frenzy day? Is every team playing on that day? I don't know. That'd be the most NHL thing ever to put it on, like, a Monday at 10 a.m. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see uh, how the month ends up going. But, I yeah, I just wanted to quickly preview and size up the month of January uh, in this one. We've got some more anyone else's that I wanted to get to before we wrap up here. Uh this one what were your jersey numbers while growing up and playing sports what was the reasoning behind the number Anytime I was goalie in hockey uh Roberto Luongo number 1 I had number 1 on the back of my jersey anytime I could in baseball I was 24 because of Robinson Cadeau. and then I moved to number 1 because I in baseball the s- smaller guys usually wear number 1 so when everybody grew and I didn't I I went with number 1 um and then I played men's league, and I went with double zeros because I think it looks sick, and I think that's my number now. Oh, I I don't like doubles zeros. I'm going to play men's league again, baseball, um, and I think I'm going to go double zeros again. I like that number. It looks sharp on a baseball jersey. Uh, It looks sharp. I like it. Double zeros.
0: No, I hate it. I
1: like it. (laughs) What were your numbers? You played soccer?
0: Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Well, a lot of times, you can really... like pick any number type thing. It'd be like they they had a certain amount of jerseys and it's like,
1: oh. you can pick between
0: like a few numbers.
4: Oh, okay. uh, When I
0: could pick, I picked 17 because of Ryan Kessler. Uh, other than that, I'd often go number two because I'd play like central defensive mid- midfield. So I wanted a low number. Just like in hockey, like defensemen wear lower numbers and two was also um, my birth date. So I'd go with that. So th- those would be my
1: two most often picks. I like it. Uh Breakaway booths, Breakaway Books, excuse me. Said 69 all day every day. I requested that once when I played uh there was like the All-Star Come team quad, for summer. Better than that. In baseball and they're like you can pick whatever number you want. I was like all right and I did 69. I was like 13. I did not get 69. <laughs> uh okay we had another one here uh okay yes the winter classic we haven't even touched on it uh rp88 what did you guys think of the seattle kraken fish throwing walk-in at the outdoor game i thought those fish got very close to the players heads and i i'm just imagining that right before walking out whoever the pr whoever was like do not flinch these people will not hit you with the fish and i just want to say like the fish looked like they were getting very very close like dangerously close i i don't know I, was it real fish in the fish tunnel I don't know. Ah, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, might have smelled. It was something I was trying to figure out. It was, you know, um, the Kraken walked in as Pike Place Fisherman people, and uh, Vegas walks in as Elvis, all dressed like Elvis. I thought Elvis, that was sick. Some people really didn't like that. I thought that was cool. Well,
0: I, I will say the people in seattle are probably happy that they could put on a show that frank Saravali can s- spoil beforehand <laughs> you remember this expansion draft they're putting on this huge show of revealing these picks meanwhile like hours beforehand the entire expansion draft has basically been leaked by
1: frank which is awesome reporting
0: <laughs> i but... hope we
1: have a one tomorrow i hope frank can join us tomorrow because that will a hundred percent be my first Is frank how disappointed were you that the <laughs> that the Kraken did an event that you weren't able to spoil? And did you tell your kids everything they were getting for Christmas on the 22nd? <laughs> oh, man. Great times. Good times. Uh, yeah, hopefully we have Frank Cervelli. But what did you think of the Winter Classic? I didn't
0: get, get a chance to catch it live,
1: actually. Oh, ah, okay. I thought Seattle. I didn't think Seattle was that good. But I haven't watched many Kraken games this year. But you look at their place in the standings. You look at how they played when they matched up against the Canucks. And look, Seattle's starting to find it, it looks like, and they're right back in the playoff spot. And that was something you and I were just talking about uh, right before we went to air. So we'll see what happens. I just want to uh, say, Joey Decord got the shutout because he had that beautiful mask with all that Mariners, uh, all those Mariners cards on. I think he had a Cal card. He had, uh, obviously, he had Griffey on there as well. And Cal, Cal Raleigh. I Remember I was throwing this out there? I was like, I wonder which Mariners players are going to be there because a lot of Mariners players go home. But me... I was putting it all together. A lot of the Mariners players were really disappointed with how last season ended. So like Ty France bought property in Seattle and he's staying all off season. They have this place called Driveline that they go to. And I heard, it's just Twitter, I heard it, uh, that a bunch of players were going to be staying in Seattle this off season. And there's your confirmation. They're here all six weeks until pitchers and catchers report um, for baseball. I don't know how you snuck baseball
0: talk in again, but one thing I want to say with Seattle is they're actually a perfect example of why the NHL point system should change because you can look at them and technically they're above 500. They're one point back of a playoff spot, although they've played extra games relative to basically everybody. But really, you look at it and they've got nine OT and shootout losses. So really, they've won 50, They've really only won 15 of 38 games. They've won 15 hmm. games, lost 23, and they're still somehow in the
1: playoff race. Come on, yep. that's that's bogus. I in my hear you. opinion. this And hey, someone asked us earlier what rules I, I, I don't have your name. I think it might have been Mr. Joker. Someone asked what rules would you apply? Uh, the PWHL, which debuted this past weekend, It was a great start for that league, by the way. Uh, I really like their rule about if you score a shorthanded goal, your player comes out of the box. You sh- first of all, the NHL should absolutely have that. The second thing that they should have, is another thing that this league is doing with the three to one point system. Yeah. The, the Canucks would be in first place by a country mile if the NHL had that, but they won't have it. And I had someone explain this to me. They won't have it because it would mean a lot of teams out of the playoff race very early in the season. And the NHL kind of needs that competitiveness all season long, where you have buildings full of people or as full as it can get, where teams are still competing and they're not out of it by like January, February. But I don't know. I like I like what the BWHL is doing with those two rules uh, in particular. But you know what it does? It just creates fake playoff races. Like, they're not really
0: real. It's superficial. You're right. Where like Boudreaux Canucks are a perfect example. It looked like the Canucks were in the playoff, back in the playoff race after the hot start. But because you'd open up NHL.com and they're six points out or they're yeah. five points out. But... In reality, making up that ground is nearly impossible when the teams ahead of you are, are collecting loser points. Whereas, sure, at a superficial level, there might be a bigger difference in, in points and, and in playoff races. But if a team actually gets hot in the second half, they can actually make up that ground in the th- in a 3-2-1 system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, I mean, you just kind of proved my point about why the NHL really likes their system. Look, we were talking about it. We were like, oh yeah, Cucks are right there knocking on the door of the playoff. Like that's what the NHL wants. They want those storylines. So, you know, I know you were bringing it up as a counter argument to the 3-2-1 system, but someone from NHL PR is watching this and being like, bang on, Harmon, great, great work. That's exactly why we do it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why they do it, which is very... uh." Very interesting. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody. We had a lot of listeners today in our first show of 2024 who tuned into the show tomorrow. We'll have a bigger anyone else section tomorrow. I promise we were just a little behind after talking for five minutes, Uh, but we got to get to our Betway bet of the day as we get set to close out our show here. But bring it up. Uh, Great little tongue twister there. Uh, Our Betway bet of the day. Back to Jonathan LeCarramacki, baby. Uh, Sweden to be the outright winner of the World Juniors a $10 bet at plus 200 odds returns you $30 over on bet. It must be 90 plus play. Choose your limit. Or wait, no, excuse me. It must be 90 plus play. Know your limit. Play within it. Okay. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's close it there. We'll close there. I have more on the Mackey, but I'm sure it'll still be there tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, sir, you can join us tomorrow. I'd love to talk to him about uh, the Kraken and how that all came together and how he didn't uh, get to spoil anything about the Winter Classic. Close it there. Any final thoughts before I do this? Nope. All right. Make sure you watch Rinkwide tonight, folks. Listen to Rinkwide uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow, but for now, signing off. My name is Dave Grigelli. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer is Grady Our Thanks to Jeff Patterson for joining us on today's episode of Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.
2: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five-in-one gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves, without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust
5: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? I it.